Hello and welcome to Solid Steps Radio. I am Chad Russell, co-host along with Kurt Souter of Further Still Ministries. And uh, we thank you for listening to Solid Steps Radio. And whether you're listening on purpose or by accident, we are a show for men by men that talks about things from a man's perspective. And the term or title Solid Steps Radio is not by accident. We believe you as men were made in by God's plan and his destiny to walk with him through Jesus Christ and to take solid steps day by day. And, and we are not the answer to all your questions, but we just want to be a tool in your toolbox of life uh, about how do we live this life walking with God? And um, how you doing today, Kurt? I'm doing great. Good, 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 good. Good to see you. Yeah, good to be seen. So not viewed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Butch know, Dabney used to say that. Well, and Butch is now in glory. So he's uh, he's he's being viewed, right? But he's being seen, I guess, by by God in the person, so in the flesh. So anyway, okay. So we are a show for man by man, talking about things from a man's perspective, which means we talk about topics that we think are attractive to men, right? Or at least the perspective of men. And if you look at all of our past shows, which we're gonna come up on two years this fall, believe it or not, of, of two years worth of shows and podcasts. And a lot of those shows have the element of what we're talking about today. And if you were to Google leadership, you're gonna get a lot of hits. Leadership books, leadership philosophies, leadership leaders, people coaching, talking about leadership. But a lot of our shows have had a tinge of leadership to it, yeah, right? Little, I mean, a yeah. lot of them, and yep. for good reason. That's not something that you should, you can't hear leadership once, kind of like what Zig Ziglar used to say, you know, motivation, people say, well, it only lasts a little bit. He goes, that's why I recommend it. It's like bathing, I recommend it daily. <laughs> you gotta do it a lot. So I think you cannot hear too much about leadership because every man is leading, whether he's intentional about it or not. Yeah, you know, Chad, when I think about leadership, I mean, every time I hear the topic, I, I get kind of charged up because it's, it, you know, we all leak in some ways of, of influence and we, we need to be encouraged and we need to be challenged. And, and so many of us in, as guys, we, we struggle in leadership because we, we move to what Adam struggled with in the very beginning of time. He, he was passive. Mm -hmm. Passivity got Adam in trouble and then he got, got Eve in trouble. And so we have Lynn Moisson back, and we're going to talk about leadership today, Lynn. Great. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, Lynn, okay, so before we talk about leadership, uh, remind us, you and Gigi have been married how many years? Uh, 42. 42. Yes, and That's... we have three children and 10 grandchildren, actually. Three of our grandchildren are in heaven, and seven are here. So uh, we're having a lot of fun. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Any more on the way? Um, we, we've got a, a son and daughter-in-law who are working on it, uh, so we'll see. That's, uh, that's the fun part, yeah. <laughs> the working on it. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, all, yeah, yeah you, you've been blessed, brother. I, you know, I really have. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and in a lot of ways, uh, the work I've done on leadership is a personal journey as much as it is an intellectual journey. Uh, so we've had a lot of fun with that, and... Uh, uh, we created this uh, book, Leadership as a Covenant, uh, actually about 10 years ago. And um, it was interesting because I was doing um, a leadership training at UPS. We negotiated in the previous life when I was at Bellarmine, we negotiated a long-term contract to do leadership training. And uh, as I was doing leadership training, I was also teaching a session on covenant in my Sunday school class. 
And as I thought more about covenant, I was thinking, you know, the results of a covenant are really what corporations want from their employees and what their employees want from the corporations. So that's how all of this work started. So 10 plus years ago, you're, you're doing this whole thing, and you, you have a great distinction um, between a covenant and a contract. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The, the legal profession has kind of stolen the concept of covenant because if you look in Webster's uh, for a definition of covenant, it will simply say a contract or a form of a contract. But a covenant is entirely different. As a matter of fact, I've created uh, in my book uh, a, a contrast, and uh, I've got a matrix here that shows the differences between a covenant and a contract, and they're substantial. Uh, for example, covenants tend to promote common good and win-win, whereas contracts tend to promote self-interest and win-lose. Uh, they're driven, covenants, by mission and values, and contracts are driven by transactions. And what's interesting about it is um, uh, there's a whole matrix of things. For example, another one is covenants define a combination, whereas contracts define contingencies. And what we have done is taken a contractual view and applied it to relationships that are intended, or at least um, from the standpoint of desire, uh, their desire to be covenants. And, and for example, let's take, take a look at marriage. Um, Oftentimes, people take a contractual view. In other words, if that person doesn't measure up, if that person doesn't meet my expectations, I'll just get rid of him and find a new one. And yeah, the, the contract, we're going to tear up the contract, this is over, and we move on. That's exactly right. And the, and the danger is that, that you miss the long-term benefits of a covenant. And covenant is more longer term than shorter term. And it is defined more by giving than it is receiving. But what's interesting about it is that when you give in a covenant relationship, everybody is elevated. Alexis de Tocqueville in the 1830s came here right, right uh, after um, some significant steps had been made, and it wasn't too long after the revolution. He wanted to examine uh, democracy in America, and he wrote a book called Democracy in America. And he found what he called covenants that existed between and among American citizens. And he said that they were, they were measured more by giving than they were by receiving. And in France, they have associations uh, that, that, Amer- that citizens, French citizens, look to to solve problems. Whereas in America, they have associations. So in France, they look to government. In America, they look to associations, and those associations are private citizens who cooperate to get things done. That's the tradition that exists in America. As a matter of fact, recently, well, recently in the 90s, uh, the uh, fellow who was the RAND scholar, a guy named Francis Fukuyama, wrote a book on trust. And one of the things he said is that American society and businesses in American society have a great advantage over businesses, let's say, in a French society, because after a business gets so big, it has to invite government in as a partner to be able to mitigate differences. Whereas in America, people have a tradition of working together in organizations like everything from the Girl Scouts to um, Habitat for Humanity, and in that working together, that creates a, a level of trust that translates into social capital that ultimately translates into economic capital. So, I mean, really what you're talking about is this, 
the difference between covenant and a, and a contract is it's it's really more relational. Yes. This, this is all about the relationship that we have and that we are committed to this relationship. Well, you know, what's interesting about it is that um, James McGregor Burns um, is one of my favorite authors besides uh, the Bible. Uh, he's written, I think, the seminal work on leadership. And he was one of the first to talk about leadership being a relationship, not a position. In other words, leadership is relational, not positional. And depending upon the dynamics of that relationships will determine whether or not you're leading or power wielding. And there are a lot of people in positions who are heads of companies or heads of organizations or pastors who are power wielders instead of leaders. And leadership, the dynamic of leadership involves, according to Burns, three components. a transactional component, in other words, the transactions between leader and follower, that's not the substance of leadership, but those transactions allow the leader to build um, credibility. Mm-hmm. There's also a transformational component uh, whereby leaders are transforming followers into leaders and leaders are elevated themselves. And then finally, there's a moral component. And Burns said those components really determine whether or not you're leading or power wielding. So there's people who are sitting in leadership positions, and they think they're the leader, yeah. but they're really, um, what's the word? Well, you know, what's interesting about this, they're, they're power-wielding, but what, what's interesting about this is that I have, I have asked this question when I do leadership training. I ask, how many of you have ever worked for a leader? And, and people will raise their hand. I say, explain that relationship. What was it like? And then I'll ask, how many of you work for a power wielder? And people will raise their hands, and it's entirely different. Leading as a, you know, the person was inspiring, they were encouraging, they motivated me versus they intimidated me, um, I didn't want to work for them, I didn't want to put out. So there's a, people understand the difference inherently between leadership and power wielding. Um, and when it's in an organization, it really, power wielding really actually ultimately is less profitable rather than more profitable. And we're going to talk about that and apply that not only in the workplace, but at home with our wives and with our kids. But we need to take a break. Yeah, we're going to take a break. And as you're sitting there talking about that, Leonard, last night I was power wielding at bedtime uh, <laughs> with my oldest that our kids, both of them, all of them. I was, I was telling them, you get in bed because I'm your dad. And I was not leading very well. I was power wielding. <laughs> But you know what? That's why we're all here. We're all walking the journey. So we're going to come back and talk more leadership with author Leonard Moisen of his book, Leadership is Covenant, on Solid Steps Radio. Welcome back to Solid Steps Radio. Hopefully you're coming back to, maybe you're just joining us, and uh, we thank you for doing that. And if you want to hear this show in its entirety, you can go to our Facebook page, you can go to iTunes, you can go to SoundCloud, and you just type in Solid Steps Radio radio and you'll see our uh, ugly mugs come up and you can click on that and listen to all of our past shows commercial free and uh, we're talking today about leadership and what does that mean if you need some leadership financially and you are lost out in the desert and need to be led financially you need to go to LNN Credit Union they are a great local lender and they can help point you in the right direction with all your financial needs also uh, somebody who, who's really a, a, a rising need in, in society and culture is Bright Star Home Care. They help folks live 
in their own homes if that's an option for them instead of some people say do i have to either go to a nursing home or what are my options bright star helps people do that so uh, they'll be advertising on the show look them up they are a great organization and uh, we thank you all for listening so uh len we've been talking uh leadership is covenant describe this whole covenant thing and the study that really resonated deeply within you to to really produce this book and the teaching that you've done over the years. Sure. Well, what's interesting about it, in the book I have 10 different principles of covenant, but it starts with an explanation of how I how I came to those principles, I came to an understanding. And actually as I studied covenant, there is a a word that explains covenant. It's called karat berit in Hebrew, which means literally to cut a covenant. And as I thought about that, I was thinking about Abraham um, Mm -hmm. in his encounter with God when God established a covenant with him. And what did he do? He said, Abraham, I want you to go out and get these animals and have them, cut them in in two, uh, and then put them in a a row parallel to each other. And what covenant partners used to do uh, is in, in ancient times, they would walk through holding their arms together, walk through that what they called the actual valley of death, that little pathway in there, and and they would arm in arm effectively recite their covenant vows and they would be saying, if I break this covenant, if either of us break this covenant, may it happen to us what happened to these animals. So the penalty for breaking covenant was, was death. Well, if you remember in Genesis, God put Abraham on the side and put him to sleep and God walked through the valley of death by himself. And what he was saying is that either of us break this covenant, may it happen to me what happened to these animals. Well, ultimately, that's Mm -hmm. exactly what Jesus did. Jesus walked that valley of death for us. And he paid the penalty of death for breaking the covenant, for our breaking the covenant. So that's where the concept started. But what's interesting about this is that if you take a look at the concept of covenant, take a look at David and 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 uh, Jonathan. That's a good example of a covenant relationship where Jonathan had David's back on a consistent basis. But what did David do later on? He remembered that and he and he said, "Is there any in Solomon's home or Jonathan's home who I can take care of as a result of my promise to him?" And he found Mephibosheth. Yep. So effectively, it it was a relationship that was really marked by giving as opposed to taking. And and that's how I began that study of covenant. That's how I began. And I studied covenant in many countries and many generations. And there were signs, interestingly enough, of covenant all over the place. And, and oftentimes it's called a blood covenant where people actually had scars of covenant that they shared their blood. It was basically saying is that I'm becoming part of you and and mm-hmm. I'm becoming and you're becoming part of me. And in some countries covenants are so complicated. It's an exchange of every it's all that I am and all that I have. I exchange for all that you are and all that you have. Well, the ultimate covenant is Jesus because I didn't give him much. He gave me everything. Mm-hmm. And so that's what motivated me to start studying covenant. That's um because if you go throughout the, the, the scriptures, there's the Noahic uh, you know, covenant, there's the Abrahamic covenant, there's the Davidic, da- Davidic covenant, yeah. and then the ultimate covenant is the new covenant, yeah. which what, that's what Jesus went through the valley of death and paid the price 
and and what did we have to give him? We talked about this, uh, Lynn, when we give him all of our sin, and what's he give us? All of his righteousness. Absolutely, it's a it's a, it's an amazing exchange. And you know what's interesting about it is that there is a theory of leadership called exchange theory, uh, where leadership becomes a series of exchanges. Well, if you don't understand that, if you miss that, uh, I, I think you can get hung up on the exchanges more so than you get hung up on the principle of giving as opposed to taking. And when you give, you ultimately receive. Mm. That's, well, and, and, and Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's this, this, this is exchange. There's the upside down of Jesus that just, um, you know, from the world's perspective, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, but it's, but it's fun to give. Yes. It really is fun to give. Yes. And, 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 and what's interesting about that is it, it's fun not just to be the benevolent kind of person, and, and I get an ego trip out of that, but it's fun to affect people's lives by giving, by, by taking pressure off of them, by blessing them in, in different ways. Uh, that's all the – you know, any lawyer will tell you that if it, 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 for a contract to work, there has to be an underlying basis of good faith. In other words, you can't possibly negotiate all of the contingencies into a contract. And that substance of good faith is really the substance of a covenant. That's, and, and it goes back to that relational thing that we talked about in the first segment. Len, talk to, talk to us about um, the covenant and what it does when, when the leader understands this principle, whether it's as a husband, whether it's as a dad, whether it's in the work world, um, empowering. Talk, talk about that a little bit. Well, the, the, um, the subtitle of my book, Leadership as a Covenant, is Leading People and Living Life More Effectively. And, and I think covenant principles are not just applicable in the workplace. They're certainly applicable at home. I, you know, I was teaching this leadership stuff, and um, it was interesting. I my, my kids asked me if they could do something. And I said, no. And they said, why? And I said, because I said so. Now, I'm not suggesting that because I said so is always the wrong answer. But in this case, I really made my kids mad. And they stormed up the stairs, and my daughter slammed her door. Well, I had my hand on the banister ready to run up the stairs and deal with that. And correct. And, and correct. That's exactly right. And my wife said to me, she, she has this annoying habit of bringing truth and putting it in my face. And she said, what's that stuff you're teaching about leadership? <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's easier to theorize and say than it is always to do. But when I do it, I don't want that kind of attitude from my kids, ultimately. And if I keep telling him I says because I said so, I become this kind of benevolent dictator, and and I don't want the results of a benevolent dictator uh, in my kids. I want them to be pliable, lovable, uh, and loving. Uh, but I've got to establish a relationship with them. I can't just tell them what to do all the time. I've got to listen to them. I've got to listen to their needs and their wants, and I've got to serve them. And that's what covenant leadership is about. That uh, serving them. Yeah. And I have to do the same thing with my wife. You know, there are a lot of guys who have distorted view of that whole concept of, of um, Ephesians and submission. And it, it starts with s- submit yourselves one to another. 
And, and ultimately, our call as husbands is to serve our wives and our children like Christ served the church. What kind of service was that? It was a sacrificial service. And, 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 and the onus is on me as the leader in my family to serve my family, to serve my wife, and to serve my children. And part of serving is sometimes allowing them to be <clears throat> partners in our family. And effectively, if, if it's all about me and all about everything that I'm saying, I'm doing, this is the way it's going to be, then ultimately I'm going to get rebellion and it's not going to work. That's profound, brother. That is profound because so many times, you know, as a pastor that I've been for 25 years, I, I've heard people say that. I've heard comments, well, they, they need to obey me and they, they need to follow me. And, you know, my kids aren't, you know, they're not listening to me. And, and really what you're saying is, have you listened to them? Have you served them first? Because going back to the covenant thing, that's what God did with Abraham. That's what Jesus does for us. He, he gave to us before we could ever give to him. And when you apply those principles in your relationships, whether it's in your family, and it starts in your family, <clears throat> but it continues at work. And that makes all the difference in the world at work. It, it makes a huge difference. If you're able to build trust, if you're able to serve people in a real sense, you know, Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. And it's amazing to study those good to great leaders. And he said that they had a combined, level five leadership is what he called it. And they had a, combi a, a combined commitment to the mission of the organization, okay, but also a humility that basically said it wasn't about them. And what's interesting about it, in, in, in the 80s, the big star in the early 90s was Jack Welch of, of GE, and, ja and, and GE did great things. Uh, they, they were two times the average. Good to great companies, many of the CEOs, you, didn't, you wouldn't even recognize their name because of that humility, but they averaged seven times the profits of other companies. So effectively, that humility was saying, hey, it's not about me. It's about the larger mission. It's about the larger common purpose that we have. Wow, that's good stuff. We need to take a break. We're going to come back with that and continue to unpack leadership and covenant and all that dynamics. We'll come back with Leonard Moisen of Leadership is Covenant, and we're going to take a break and be back shortly on Solid Steps Radio. 